Ruth chapter 1, reading from verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Killian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Great, let's pray, shall we, as we come to God's word. 
Father, we do thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we pray that as we look at your word together now, you would help us to walk in ways and in paths that are pleasing to you. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. We can imagine the headlines splashed across the front pages of the Bethlehem Times. Naomi is back. And underneath in slightly smaller print, hometown girl comes home. You see, over a decade has passed since Naomi left Bethlehem with her husband, Elimelech, and her two sons, Marlon and Killian. But now she's back. And as you can see in chapter 1, verse 19, it is the talk of the town. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? You see, we're living here in a time before social media. No WhatsApp groups, no Facebook, no LinkedIn. No one has seen or heard from Naomi in over 10 years. But now she's back. You can imagine the gossip, can't you, at the school gates? Can this be Naomi? If so, where's Elimelech? What's happened to the boys? Who's this other lady with her? I wonder what it is that brings her home. So many unanswered questions that will be answered over the course of the next few weeks. The detail will come, but for now, the headline must suffice. Naomi is back. And as we'll see, her return is a big deal for so many ways. But before we come to that homecoming in verse 19, we need to look at the context for her departure and indeed the context for the whole story which is given to us in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah together with his wife, that's Naomi, and two sons went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, two important reference points are given to us in verse 1. Firstly, the timing of these events. When did these things take place? Well, as you can see in verse 1, it took place in the days when the judges ruled. That's from about 1200 BC to about 1020 BC. From the day that Joshua died after leading God's people into the promised land until the day when Saul took up his throne as the first king of Israel and those days were dark. They were dark days for the people of Israel. Have a look how the book of Judges ends. Just flick back one page in your Bibles to Judges 21 verse 25. Here we find a summary of that book. In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw foot. In a word, anarchy. It was a time of unchecked lawlessness, a story of decline into moral chaos. And it's against that dark backdrop that the book of Ruth is set. What we have before us is a picture of the gospel, a story of loyalty, love and kindness. A story of God's faithfulness to his people, of his gracious dealings with ordinary men and women like you and me. You see, in many ways, the main characters in this story, Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, are no different to us. Ordinary people, living ordinary lives, making everyday mistakes. But as we'll see, God still uses them in surprising ways. And that should be a huge encouragement to us all. 
You see, at times we may feel pretty ordinary. At times we may even feel like failures. But that does not mean that God cannot use us for his glory. God delights. He delights to use ordinary people in extraordinary ways. Firstly, the timing of these events. And secondly, the location of these events. Have a look again at verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. That's in the promised land. The land that God kindly delivered his people to. He's rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He's brought them through the wilderness into the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land, a land of blessing. But at this particular point in history, the people were not experiencing God's blessing. As we read in verse 1, there was a famine in the land, which is a sign not of God's blessing, but of God's covenant curse. You see, there's a great irony here in verse 1. The, the name Bethlehem, the town Bethlehem, where all this takes place, means house of bread. Can you see the irony? There is no bread in the house of bread. There is a famine in the land. Why? Because of the people's collective disobedience. But instead of turning back to the Lord in repentance and faith, they turn their back on the Lord and leave the promised land behind. And that brings us to the first of three scenes in chapter 1, which I've called the departure. Have a look again at verse 2. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, as you can see, the book of Ruth is littered with names, and that's incredibly important because names in Hebrew mean something. Place names and people names. And in verse 2, we read this. The man's name was Elimelech, which means, my God is king. And so here's the question for you this morning. Was Elimelech living up to his name? Was there any wisdom he, dis- he made in that decision on behalf of his family to leave Bethlehem and to go to Moab? Well, the short answer to that question is no. We can understand why he did it. It's his, it's his privilege, it's his responsibility to provide for his family. And there's a famine in the land, there's no food. And so Elimelech takes the pragmatic approach and leaves in order to find food. But as we've seen, this isn't only a pragmatic decision, it's also a theologically bad one. They left the promised land. They left the promised land in favour of the godless land of Moab, which throughout Scripture has negative connotations. Now that poses a question for us too, doesn't it? As Christians... Do we live up to our name? Christians, followers of Christ, are we living for King Jesus? Are we making decisions every day on the basis that Jesus is King? Or like Elimelech, are we led more by our circumstances than by our Saviour? The new job, the new school, the house move, the retirement plan, 
and all the other daily decisions that we make, are we being led by our gut and by pragmatics? Or are we being led by our God? Or to put it another way, are we turning to the Lord for our daily bread or are we seeking life elsewhere? Well, Elimelech chose the the latter and so this family of four leave for Bethlehem seeking life but all they find is death in verse 3. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Killian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Like all the kingdoms of this world, Moab promises life, but all it brings is death. You can picture Naomi, this sad scene, standing beside the family grave weeping over her husband and her two sons, utterly destitute, away from her homeland, away from her Lord, and incredibly vulnerable. This must have felt like the end of the line for Naomi, and for that matter, the end of her family line as well. No husband, no children, and in that context, no future and no security. You see, a woman without male protection in our culture may flourish, but not in theirs. These were desperate, desperate days for Naomi, but as we'll see, the grace of God is quietly at work. And that brings us to scene two and a spiritual crossroads. Have a look down at verse six, if you would. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people, by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. Moved not only by her own personal plight, but by God's provision back in Bethlehem, Naomi prepares to return home. Now there's a wonderful symmetry here with the story, the parable that we looked at last week in Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son, a son who turns his back on his father and his homeland in search of a better life elsewhere. Just like Naomi, he goes seeking life, but all he finds is death. And he too has this moment of of realisation, of coming to his senses, grovelling around in the pigsty looking for food, stripped of all that he has, left totally empty. And in this moment of realisation, he remembers all that is left behind. He remembers the kind provision of his father back home. And so he turns his back on that foreign and distant land and heads for home, just like Naomi. I wonder, is it time for you to come home too? Maybe like Naomi, you've been seduced by the offer of life in Moab, drawn by the the, the promise of provision elsewhere. But through the painful circumstances of life and the promptings of God in your heart, you've come to see that there is no life worth living outside of Christ. Only in the presence of God will we be truly satisfied. Well, that's something of what's going on in Naomi's heart as she sets out in verse 7 with her two daughters-in-law 
She left the place, that's Moab, she left Moab, the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. And at some point on the journey, they come to their spiritual crossroads. You can imagine the three women standing in the middle of nowhere. Moab may be a distant speck somewhere in the, in the background and the road to Bethlehem stretched out before them and as they pause for a drink or a rest, the question hanging over the text is this. Will the daughters-in-law return all the way to Bethlehem with Naomi or will they turn back to Moab? That's the decision before them. In verse 8 and 9, have a look at what Naomi says. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you've shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud. You can feel the emotion, can't you? These, these three ladies love each other very much. They are, they are devoted to each other. But Naomi speaks here with a sense of realism. She says to Orpah and Ruth, I can't give you what you want, verse 11. I cannot provide a husband for you, verse 12. There's no future if you stay with me. In fact, verse 13, the Lord's hand has turned against me. Better maybe that you return home now. And so we arrived at this great spiritual crossroads. Which way will they go? Which way will they turn? Well, in the end, Orpah turns back to what she knows. She goes back to Moab, to her own land and to her own gods. Ruth, on the other hand, will not leave Naomi's side. Look at the contrast we see in verse 14. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye but Ruth clung to her. Now that word clung that you see there in verse 14 is loaded with covenant loyalty. It's the opposite of of forsaking God or letting go of God. Ruth will not let go. And as we see in verse 16, she isn't only clinging to Naomi, she is clinging to Naomi's God. But Ruth replied, verse 16, don't urge me to leave you. Or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, Naomi, will be my God. He will be mine. You see, this isn't just an act of loving loyalty towards a mother-in-law. Here we find a genuine allegiance to God. In fact, in verse 17, Ruth uses the covenant name of the Lord. And so what we find before us in verse 16 and 17 is a surprising conversion of this young Moabite widow. Did she know everything there was to know about God? Has she had every question that she wanted answered? No. But from Naomi's life and witness, she knew enough about God to trust him and to place her life into his hands. And that's why she left everything behind. Her wider family, 
her future prospects, her cultural deities. She gave them all up in pursuit of the one true living God. And I hope that encourages you this morning to know that Naomi's painful experiences in Moab were not without fruits because through it Ruth was wonderfully converted. You've heard the testimony, the story already this morning from Lila, her visit to hospital for emergency surgery and how that surgery was delayed for three days which would have been incredibly painful and frustrating for Lila but in God's providence during that period he placed another lady in the same ward as Lila. Someone with a spiritual hunger who was asking those questions and through Lila's faithful witness through her peace and her hope She too has come to trust in Jesus. You see, God will not waste those moments, those those painful moments, those frustrating moments, those hardships. In God's economy, he will use them all for his glory. And maybe at times your life feels a little bit like that. Full of difficult decisions and painful circumstances. If so, if that's you this morning, then please don't underestimate what God can do through your faithful and steady witness. I doubt that Naomi knew the significance of Ruth's conversion at that time. But she was going to discover and has now discovered from the vantage points of eternity that God was doing something far, far bigger than she could ever imagine. And we get a glimpse of that at the end of the book as the author leaves us with his family tree of Ruth. Ruth, in the end, marries Boaz, who, as we read, is the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David, who would become king over Israel. And, of course, from his line would come the Messiah. Nothing is wasted in God's economy. Even our failures and our faulty decisions, God will use for his glory and for our good. That's what the Apostle Paul teaches, isn't it? In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, in all things. That all things is inclusive. It includes our frustrations, our pain, our decision making, our good decisions and our bad decisions. In all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What a promise that is to hold on to and to build our lives upon. Firstly, we have the departure from Bethlehem. Secondly, we have the spiritual crossroads. And lastly, we have the long-awaited homecoming in verse 19. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Naomi must have looked like a shadow of the woman who left ten years earlier. No doubt a few more grey hairs and a few more wrinkles and worry lines, but the biggest change wasn't in her physical appearance, it was in her relationships. Have a look at verse 21. I went away full, says Naomi, but the Lord has brought me back empty. 
She left with a husband and two sons and has come back with just one daughter-in-law. And that's why she responds as she does in verse 20. Don't call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. Don't call me pleasant anymore. That's not a description of my life experience at this moment. Call me Mara. The word Mara means bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. And as she wanders into Bethlehem, the memories must have come flooding back. The streets that she walked down with Elimelech. The place where she got married, the the river that she bathed her boys in every morning as they grew up. And these memories come flooding back to her. She went away full, but has come back empty. And notice that this is the Lord's doing four times in just two verses. It is attributed to the Lord. Verse 20, the Almighty has made my life very bitter. 21, the Lord has brought me back empty. 21 again, the Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. This is the Lord's doing. But as William Cowper reminds us in his famous poem, the God, the Lord moves in mysterious ways. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bird may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. You see, God's providence is sometimes pretty hard stomach. Why does God do what he does? Why things happen as they do? But please remember this, however dark the clouds may be for you at this moment, one day they will break in blessing on your head. However bitter the bud of your current experience, one day it will open into a sweet smelling flower. And in verse 22, that flower begins to open for Naomi and Ruth. Have a look down if you would. Verse 22. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Can you see the contrast with how the chapter began in verse 1 and how it finishes in verse 22? We had a famine in the land, verse 1. And now we have a harvest in the land in verse 22. It is a physical picture of a spiritual reality. God is about to reap a spiritual harvest in the lives of these ladies. They may not be able to see it quite yet, but over the next few chapters, they most certainly will. God will replace their emptiness with fullness. He will replace their sorrow with joy. And of course, that's exactly what happens when anyone comes home to the Lord. When people come back to Christ, when they acknowledge their sin and turn back to their Saviour, when they trust in the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross on their behalf and his resurrection to new life, God will replace there your emptiness with fullness and your sorrow with joy. 
And of course, that's exactly what happens when people come home to the Lord. You see, the story of Naomi and Ruth coming home is just a picture of that great and glorious homecoming. A picture of lost people turning their back on Moab and the empty promises of this world and coming home to Christ where there is eternal joy in his presence. There is life and there is fullness. As we read in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, says Jesus, that they may have life and have it to the full. Bethlehem may be the house of bread, but Jesus is the bread of life and he calls people home to be satisfied for all eternity in him. And he calls you to do that today. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll sing together before we close. Father, we do thank you that Jesus is the bread of life, that he alone can satisfy the deepest longings of a human soul, that he alone can take broken people and broken lives and make them new. And Father, that's what we pray for in the year ahead, that many would come home to Christ, that many would see their sin and would return from that distant land and would find the joy and the fullness and the glory that is in Christ. And we pray all these things for his name's sake. Amen.